right, take two, and we hope indeed it does work this time around. And if it doesn't, I, I don't think we even care at this point. Larry, <laughs> here we go again. How are you? Doing good. Doing absolutely fantastic. That is fantastic. Now, look, here is the kind of endorsement we need. This is the postman in Capitola saying, this new media stuff is difficult, fellas. Keep working hard. We'll be here to support the two best sports talkers in the Bay. Well, thank you very, very much. We do indeed appreciate that. Larry's been working on this from his end. I've been working on it from my end. And maybe we figured it out. Maybe we haven't. But either way, let's just hop right in and kind of talk about what we were going to get into before we were so rudely disturbed by audio issues. Larry, does the NFL have a problem with gambling today? Do you expect a bigger one to come tomorrow with this Isaiah Rogers story that is bubbling up in Indianapolis? Well, I mean, the problem is that the players don't make enough money so that they could just tell the gambler you know, the, the gamblers who prey upon them to go, you know, get lost. I mean, they're, you're talking about a player that probably is going to make very little money in his career and it probably and and you know it's it's conceivable that a gambler could impact somebody who's who's not making any real money and that's the problem the nfl is incredibly popular but the rank and file nfl player on the back end who is privy to you know the inside workings of the sport but isn't making a lot of money and so i think that it's going to be something that we're not going to we haven't heard the end of i think we're going to hear more about it Especially as, you know, the other thing is that we're becoming, we're a gambling culture. So there's a lot of people who have gambled in the last two or three years that maybe have never gambled before. And so, um, you know, I think that's also playing a, fa playing a role in this because you've got, you know, people that are dabbling in something they've never dabbled in before and maybe they're falling behind, maybe they're losing money. And, you know, if you have a player that needs to make a few extra bucks, and he can slide some information to a gambler, um, that gambler can make enough money to funnel money back to that, that said player. And what's, you know, I mean, I, I think the NFL is going to, I don't think this problem's going away. Let's just say that. No, look, and, and the NFL should expect more of it, to be totally honest with you. They've set up a system where, look, the risk reward is always going to be part of the math model or probability model here. You're never going to see a player making big dollars risk a huge paycheck for minuscule gambling winnings but like i said a player on the edge of the roster or at the end of their career that now find themselves in a situation where they could maybe do financially better for themselves in one horrifically bad moment in a game which could alter the outcome in a game because they've been thrust into it and they maybe didn't have much of a, a real shot to be out there in the first place. So it, it's going, you know, a kicker. Think about the control a kicker could have over a score with missed point after touchdowns, a missed field goal or two along the way. It could dramatically affect the outcome. And maybe, you know, it, again, it's not going to come from a quarterback. You're not going to see a quarterback throwing a game. You're not going to see a wide receiver. You're not going to see a team star corner. But a team's third nickel in his year 35 season, you know, maybe, Larry, maybe. And, and we're only talking about this in terms of the NFL. I mean, obviously, Major League Baseball with Pete Rose has been through this. 
But with more and more opportunities to gamble, and where I, I, I almost guarantee you this is going to rear its head before it does professionally, is in college. I could see college football, college basketball, dealing with this on a much larger, more serious scale because there's too much money to be made professionally. Collegiately, for a lack of a better term, it's a gamble. Yeah, and we've seen point-shaving scandals in college. You know, it's not like we haven't seen it. We have seen it. So, um, you know, that's really kind of the, you know, you have a, a situation here where the gamblers, the money that the gamblers potentially could funnel back to the players could be a significant amount of money in the grand scheme of things compared to what they earn as players. And so it kind of creates a, an atmosphere where there, you know, this would be a good deal for the players if they could somehow avoid getting caught, of course. So I think that the NFL is going to have to do be very vigilant in their um, approach to trying to, to stop this. And they're probably going to have to go to some great lengths and probably uh, investigate their own players in, in, in every single situation. We just saw Calvin Ridley lose a whole year for gambling. And I guarantee you there's – I mean, we just—I saw footage the other day of uh, of an NFL uh, ref on the sideline who was being heckled, saying, "Hey, you got money on this," and he kind of turned and he kind of gave kind of a sly smile. And I'm not saying that that was an indication that he was gambling on it, but they're aware. I mean, they're human beings. They're aware, and um, there's an awful lot of money being thrown on some of these games. Um, if you felt like you had an official in your back pocket and you could you could pay off an official or a player. Um, then the question is how much, what would it take? Well, it's going to take a whole lot less to pay off an official or a marginal player than it would to pay off a $20 million a year quarterback. Uh, new, new rock, uh, rock and new era. 84 says, get yourself a fall guy, Chris Carter. And this is what's kind of fascinating to me about this story. It wasn't even the player himself. It was a friend of his, an associate, according to the report, uh, the report that is coming out about this story. So, you know, what is the level of tracking of the circle of friends now around NFL players in terms of the gambling community? We're going to learn more about this story as it comes out, but it started to develop this afternoon. And it's the one story that broke since I wrapped up my show from earlier today. So I thought we'd get into it and start off with a little home and home Part two, Electric Boogaloo. And all I can say to everyone who has been uh, uh, patient with us, we are supposed to start at 7.30. Thank you very much. Thank you for being patient. Larry and I are still learning how to put this whole thing together. But for tonight, let me just tell you, all amateur audio engineers, just be gone. If, if it doesn't sound good, then maybe this isn't the show for you to watch tonight. We can't troubleshoot it anymore. Here we are. We hope that it works for you. We have conflicting reports, different people. I don't know who's messing with us, so I don't even care anymore. Um, OTAs, again tomorrow. Are you heading on down? Yes, I will be there. Um, Kyle Shanahan will address the media. We're going to be down there in the morning for practice. I think I've got practice scheduled tomorrow at 1040 in the morning, and then Shanahan will, will talk to us and then a few select players after that. What time then, is Wednesday's practice, do you know? Wednesday's practice is 10.50, and then uh, Steve Wilkes and some select players will talk after practice. See, these, these practice times are kicking my rear end because that's when I'm on the air here. And I know it's you know, not necessarily uh, important for me to be on the air exactly at 11, but we got, a, we, we got a demanding audience that expects me, Larry, and 
I'm, I'm just not going to get down there, unfortunately, for this round of OTAs. Why did Shanahan move it up? How come it still wasn't at uh, like noon or, or one o'clock? That's a great question. I, you know, I'm not privy to why they schedule it the way they do. Um, but yeah, and then they've used, you know, they've had other times they've, they, you know, and, and during the season, they'll have one practice that starts in the morning. They'll have another practice that starts in the afternoon. But I think a lot of it's attributable to, you know, their travel and sleep schedules and so on and so forth. But um, I, I have no idea why they scheduled it the way they did. Well, it's unfortunate that I can't get down there because, again, you can glean some things. You can't glean everything. Trying to come up with any definitive statements or the ridiculous, you know, uh, practice of counting how many reps were completed, how many completions, like it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. As you said yesterday, it's June. There's not a lot of, that happens right. on the football field in any capacity, good, bad, or indifferent, that really matters. As long as no ACLs are torn in June, that was a really good practice. You know, I mean, that, 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 there's probably not a lot here that's going to translate directly into a regular season at all. I mean, it, it's, it's insane the breathless nature at which the first snaps of a football practice are covered by some media. I'm obviously not talking about you. Oh, no, and I know. Look, it is. It is. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, to, as far as I'm concerned, Damon, only positive things can come out of OTAs outside of injuries. So if a guy goes down with an ACL, that's a negative. Outside of that, I don't care if he there's a fumbled snap. I don't care if a quarterback airmailed a throw. It's football in in may and june without intensity and you know this is where you make mistakes as an evaluator you make mistakes at the combine because that ain't football and you make mistakes at otas because that ain't football you know i mean it's you you to me i look at it as a positive only if somebody does something amazing that's a positive in their favor but if they don't show up that's not a negative it's especially in the vol of you know in the voluntary portion obviously this one's mandatory but, um, if you know, if you don't show up for voluntary, people were trying to bag on J Javon Hargrave for not being there. I don't care if he's not there. I really don't. And, and you know what? I wouldn't even put it past, you know, like some people are like, where's Debo? Why is Debo not out there? I wouldn't put it past the 49ers to say, hey, look, we got 12 receivers we got to take a look at. Uh, why don't you, you know, Debo, why don't you, you know, sit this one out? Uh, because we want to get, you know, invent the, what really OTAs should be about introducing your program and 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 taking inventory on your offseason roster of 90 men so that when you get to camp, you got a real good idea who, you know, who's who's in the mix, who's not in the mix. There are such things as camp bodies, guys who are on the field wearing uniforms, but they're really not in the mix. So I, I just. I think there's way, way too much importance put into what actually happens in these OTAs. People have reported it like it's the second half of the Super Bowl. It ain't. Right. No, it's it, not. It's, it's, it's a bit much, and I don't know if it's self-serving, attention-grabbing. For some, it might be. And look, this is not the transition that I wanted to bring up. Uh, what I saw today was, I believe, a tweet from, uh, from, from Grant, Grant Cohn, today. And, you know, look, uh, you know, Grant and I have had our differences. I, we went and said hello at, at practice uh, when I saw him at OTAs. Very nice. I, I got nothing against the guy. I admire what he's done. He is built 
you know, something almost out of thin air that I, I admire greatly. I really do. But we definitely have a different way of how we go about covering football and the team that we're supposedly trying to maintain a level of like journalistic integrity while we're looking at them and covering them and trying to relay stories here. Um, you know, I, he, he wrote today, Dear 49ers, either give Trey Lance an opportunity to compete for a starting job or trade him. Stop holding that young man hostage. You're ruining his career. Like, I, you know, it, are you covering the team or are you trying to dictate the decisions in the front office? Like, that to me is, is where we just see what might be a similar job through very different lenses. You know, he wants to be involved in a decision-making process. I just want to talk about what I'm seeing. Um, you know, call it styles, if you will. But here's one thing that I think is... is and I, I mean, I understand where he's going with that. I do, because um, are, you know, are we going to get a competition or is there no competition? And if there's no competition... And all Trey has stated is saying, hey, I just want to I just want an opportunity to compete. And I think what Grant is saying, is he going to get that opportunity to compete or is he not getting the opportunity to compete? And if he's not getting the opportunity to compete, why don't you move him down? Move him on. Why is he not getting an opportunity to compete right now? Well, he is. That's the thing. I mean, there is way they're both taking first team snaps. The competition is underway it has not been called that we haven't even seen the horses make it past the first furlong yet the competition that i believe grant suggests is not happening is happening or or you could even go further you could say it's already happened right you could say that the competition was whatever traded on the field last year and what, what whatever brock did on the field last year and because of that brock's the leader in the clubhouse and I don't, I, come on, why would Brock not be the leader in the clubhouse after last year? Why? He was phenomenal. I mean, he was, he was phenomenal in the little bit that we saw from the guy. And I just, like, I just, I, like, I don't take offense to this. Grant can cover the team through whatever lens serves him the best. But again, stop holding the young man hostage. Okay, first of all, the 49ers don't owe Trey Lance a thing beyond the dollar amount agreed to. And if they want to store him as backup, then that is every bit their right and privilege as the team that drafted him. They are not holding Trey Lance back. They're giving Trey Lance an opportunity to cash an NFL paycheck for a team that drafted him. He has not hit free agency. There is a process to going from one team to another opportunity and he has not reached any part of that journey yet. Like this breathless, oh, the Niners owe him so much. They owe him, they don't owe him jack shit. They owe him nothing but the direct deposit, which I'm sure clears every two weeks. Well, I hear what you're saying. Um, they're, they're, I mean, they've made an evaluation based on what they've seen thus far. And their evaluation is that Brock is their number one guy and that everybody else is, you know, to be, you know, to be determined as far as how they're slated and where they rank. 
and how often they're going to, you know, when they're going to play and so on and so forth. I think there's just a belief by some that this should be an open competition with both guys having equal everything. But that's not reality. The reality is, is that last year uh, counted and the 49ers evaluated Brock Purdy. And last year was all about Trey Lance this and his timeline. This year, uh, they're prioritizing their own timeline. As and, they should. As and, every and, team should. And that's, and that's, that's where they're at. And I think there's also, there's also an, I think an expectation that Trey is going to be a certain level of player. And, you know, the one thing that we can say without a doubt is that the 49ers coaches know more about whatever decisions they've made. They know more football than we do. And I'm putting myself in that category i'm putting you in that category i'm putting grant in that category and every other media person they know more about these players they know more about their talent they know more about their skill level they know more about these players than we do regardless of any decision they've made in the past they are pro coaches um and so they know more about these players and i think what the answer that a lot of people don't want to hear is that the 49ers are never they're not going to come out and say and devalue um, any of their players by saying anything but just positive dialogue. And if they don't have anything real positive to say about his football, they're just going to hang to the positive. And what have we seen this offseason? You're seeing lots of comments from the 49ers about Trey and his personality and Trey and his work habits and Trey and who he is as a person because they feel like they're on solid ground talking about that. But they don't compliment his accuracy or his processing or any of the attributes of playing football. Right. And that bothers a lot of people. But I would say to everybody is listen to what they're saying and also listen to what they're not saying. And also maybe don't focus on the verbiage and just focus on the actions because the actions are what you really need to to, I mean, if they loved Trey Lance and thought he was on the verge of, on, on the precipice of becoming the next Patrick Mahomes, they would not have signed Sam Darnold to an $11 million contract with incentives. If they really thought that Trey was going to be awesome, then they probably aren't bringing in Joe Burrow's backup to be number three. And today, according to Aaron Wilson, they're working out Jack Cohn, the former Notre Dame quarterback who very easily could wind up being a practice squad quarterback for the 49ers. So it's clear that they are establishing a surplus of quarterbacks. All I can tell you about this, because I don't have any sources and I don't have any inside information, is that typically when any team in any sport establishes a surplus, it's because they're getting ready to trade off of that surplus. And that's what it looks like to me. And it's funny because I said this two months ago, and people were like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I said, well, look, if you're committing to Brock Purdy as your guy, then shouldn't you do right by Trey and move him along so he can go play and resume his career somewhere else? And people were like, I can't believe you're saying that. And now here we are. It's June the 5th, and the 49ers are – you know, basically, we're right there on the you know, month away from camp, and the reports are coming out that Brock Purdy's healthy, and he's probably going to be healthy, and he's probably going to be back in August, and he's probably going to be the number one quarterback. And so now people are saying that. Now people are saying, move him on. 
I said that two months ago, and people were like, you hate Brock, you hate Trey Lance. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just reading the tea leaves that they're going with Brock Purdy, and if they're going with Brock Purdy, how does Trey Lance develop by not playing? To me, it was a no-doubt situation they were going to move him. Ian Rappaport kept teasing that they were that they were entertaining offers, but then as the draft came closer, he pushed off of it a little bit and said, well, it may not happen for a while. But you notice he didn't say it wasn't going to happen. He didn't take it back. He just said, uh, it's not going to happen until probably later this summer when they figure out if Brock is really healthy. And re So now they found out that it sounds like he started to throw. The reports are good. It sounds like he's healthy. It sounds like he's going to return to a similar prospect that he was. And now they're buffering their quarterback room with Darnold and Allen and now maybe Jack Cohn. To me, and I know nobody wants to hear this, especially from Larry Kruger at this point, but what I told you two months ago is absolutely coming to fruition. It looks like they're establishing a surplus to move off of that surplus. And the only logical conclusion is that the guy that they'll be moving is Trey Lance. So I'm not saying I'm rooting for it because I ain't. But I'm telling you, this is what it looks like, and this is what it's looked like to me since the combine. So I don't know what to – now people are like, well, play him or trade him, you know? And, you know, now it's like no, it's starting to be obvious to other people. This was obvious months ago. And then Rapp if you listen to Rappaport, Damon, he was very specific in his report on this. It wasn't like, ah, I think they may trade Trey Lance. It was like, they are likely to move him, and it won't be soon. It will be later this summer. And so I would say, based on what I've heard from Rappaport, based on what I'm viewing right now, I would say that we are inside the window where we may see Trey moved on to another team any day now. Or it could be this summer. It could be as late as the cutdown. But we're in that window that I think right now you may see a Trey Lance trade at any point. And I'm not rooting for it, but I am predicting it. And look, I'm not saying that you're right or wrong about that. To me, the overall arching lesson, arcing lesson of, of all last year is, hey, you might need three quarterbacks. So the fact that the 49ers would keep Brock Purdy, Trey Lance, and Sam Darnold all on the team should be a breathless evaluation of what is happening here that surprises no one. It should surprise no one that this team might keep three quarterbacks this year. I don't care what their names are. You know, I mean, they just learned this lesson last year, and everyone's like, well, what did you learn from that? Well, by keeping three talented quarterbacks on the roster – why is that bad for the Niners? Why is that being projected as, well, they can't make a decision on these guys? I think the decision's been made. We need guys who are good at this, and we need more than two of them, and we think that we might have them here. And believe me, if they do indeed trade Trey Lance, that is Kyle Shanahan basically telling you, I fucked this up. I should never have drafted him. I liked him on tape, but the minute he got in here, the only thing I liked about him was his work ethic and how he was with his teammates and what a great guy he was. Like you said, the talking points that they keep on putting out there, nothing about accuracy, nothing about what they think he can be for them. It's always, you know, big picture. What a great kid this young man is things. And the the, the fact is, you know, look, I, I, I hate that this saying has been, 
you know, associated with one political party. And I'm not trying to make this political at all, Larry, but when it comes to what quarterback isn't happy with the level of competition that they are or aren't getting or the perception based on media reports are or not relaying to fans, I, I say this to the entire quarterback room, fuck your feelings. <laughs> you know, if you're having a bad day, go home and cry on your pile of money. You know, that's how sports work sometimes. An opportunity isn't just handed to anyone. An opportunity is handed to even fewer people on Kyle Shanahan teams before they've earned it. And you can think that you've watched a player establish a level of earning it when Brandon Ayuk had his phenomenal rookie season as a wide receiver with this team, only to then see him start the next eight weeks of his sophomore year thoroughly in the doghouse. We saw the same thing with Dante Pettis. We've seen the same thing with countless 49ers. Shanahan's all about him one day, and then something happens, and he falls out of love quickly. I, I just don't understand how people haven't caught on to, especially someone who, like I said, Grant, you know, I respect him because he's there every day. And he'll say some, you know, pretty inflammatory shit, and he'll be right back in there the next day. And I do respect that. But this whole, like, you know, dear 49ers, you owe this kid an opportunity to compete for a starting job. He is competing. You know, mandatory OTAs start tomorrow you know I mean, there's there's not a lot of competition that really goes on on a football field when when guys are are not aren't even wearing pads they're not even i mean they're really they're the guys yet. are they're being evaluated exactly the players are being evaluated and the other at all part, times i don't mean to cut you off but the, i thought the one really salient part that point that you made was hey maybe the competition is over oh no i didn't have to do that anymore Maybe the competition is over already, and that's the way it is. The bigger question, it's funny, the Rod Father, and I, I hear you, Rod Father. He says, Larry's been beating this subject down like a dead horse. Dude has nothing else to say. Hashtag broken record, Larry. I've got plenty to say. It's just that this is easily the most uh, you know, salacious story uh, tied with the 49ers, and it seems like every all roads lead back to the quarterback. The, the fact of the matter is, you're not going to get what you want. If you're one of these guys that wants camp to start in July and then every day um, there to be, well, Brock did this and Trey did that and Darnold did this, and I don't think that's what the 49ers want. I really don't. I don't think they want a full-fledged, quarterback sit uh you know battle royale where everybody picks sides and we're constantly camp stats galore and right. we're talking endlessly about this guy and that guy i think they see the divisive nature of the entire thing i don't think they want that at all i really no, don't and i think the fans want it i think the rod father wants it i think there's lots of people out there that want this to be a day after day july in august soap opera and I don't think the 49ers want that. That's just my guess from afar. Um, I think they want a clear-cut quarterback room with Brock as the number one. I think they've made their evaluation. Um, and, and and everything that's going on, these OTAs, you know, it may just look like guys throwing it around, but they're making evaluations. They're making evaluations based on what they see. Um, and so, I, you know, I don't know what they see. I'm not privy to the inner workings of – their quarterback room or the dialogue, but I'm sure as hell, 
you know, the one thing that just gets a little tough to stomach is that all these people ripping Brock Purdy, the guy's never lost a game that he started and finished. And then, and then when their frustration boils over because they're not getting the answers they want to get, suddenly it becomes a rip fest on Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan's probably a top five NFL head coach. And let's talk about this logically. If Purdy's super limited and it's just an amazing thing that he did what he did last year and he's super limited and Kyle's a terrible coach, how did the combo get to the NFC Championship game? Like over and over and over. How, how did how did this quarterback who's got all these limitations and this head coach who doesn't know his head from his ass, all, all of a sudden the two of them just miraculously appeared in the NFC Championship game? It's, a, it's an amazing – I mean, truly, if, if everybody's – I mean, the old saying, if your premise is wrong, your conclusion by definition is wrong. So if your premise is Brock Purdy can't play – then your conclusion off of that is going to be faulty because he can play. And if you're and 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 don't listen to me, listen to Steve Young, listen to Kurt Warner, <laughs> listen to anybody who, you know, listen to Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Listen to, yeah, listen to Jeff Garcia, listen to people who actually know the game. There is there any person who is credible within the sport who is ripping either Kyle Shanahan or Brock Purdy? Anybody, any coach, any scout, any player, anybody. Is anybody ripping these guys? No. The ripping is coming from, you know, fans, content creators, people that are frustrated that Lance is there but not seemingly ever climbing the, the pecking order in the quarterback battle. who bought number five jerseys and are pissed off they really can't wear them with pride. Maybe that's what's going on here. You know, I – I think Trey's a, a great prospect, but go back and read the reports that Dane Brugler wrote on him. He said, you know what? This kid's an unprecedented uh, evaluation. And I'll say this. There is a stark contrast to the people that I know in my world who are personnel people that have credibility. They have had evaluations of Trey Lance that are so far away from what the rank and file content creator or fan is saying. The content creator fan is talking about Trey like if they would if Kyle would just get out of the way and if Purdy wasn't there, Trey would become Mahomes part two. Right. Um, but when I when you talk to Michael Lombardi, he's very critical. When you talk to Mike Martz, he's like, well, he doesn't run that well and he's not that accurate and uh, I, I personally, I just don't know what he does, really. I mean, he's, it, it's like he's eviscerating him. I had Randy Mueller on. Randy Mueller is the former general manager of the Dolphins and Saints. Friend of a friend, his brother, um, his brother Rick and I scout, you know, worked together scouting-wise in the Sacramento with the Sacramento Gold Miners in 1994. Been friends with Rick for years. He's now the recruiting coordinator at Coastal Carolina. I had Randy Mueller on my show. I said, Randy. Where did you have Trey Lance evaluated on your board in the draft where he came out? And guess what he said? I, I was floored by his answer. Wasn't on the board. Wasn't on my board. I said, no, no, I, got, I thought he was joking. Mike, Randy, no, seriously, where was he? What, what round? I didn't have him in a round. I go, no round. You didn't have him as a fifth-round pick. You didn't have him as a sixth-round pick. You didn't have him as a seventh-round pick. Nope. He said, Krug, I didn't have him on the board. Randy has nothing bad to say about Trey Lance. He's not anti-Trey Lance. He's an evaluator. I said, Randy, why? Why was he not on your board? And he said, there wasn't enough there. 
there wasn't enough, you know, reviewable tape on Trey Lance to put him in any round. Um, so I, I just simply took him off the board. I could not, I, I, I wouldn't consider drafting him because I couldn't put my arms around what he was as a prospect. Right. I never did, felt like I got a handle on what he could do and what he couldn't do. So I would never make an evaluation and put my name to it to any owner or any, any team and say, you know what, I think he's this. So that is an eye-opener. Martz, Lombardi, and Mueller, three guys that all have personnel. They've made money in the NFL as personnel evaluators. They're either ripping Trey Lance and eviscerating him, saying that I don't know what he does. You know what? I'm not sure what he does. Or saying, you know what? There's so many issues with the evaluation that I just don't even have him on the board. I mean, that's dramatic, man. It is. That, that is. That, look at it this way. Larry, we're in OTAs, but I think we just reached. Yeah, I can feel it in the air. <laughs> Look, it's it's real simple. Any evaluation process is a collection of data points. And if you have people saying, "Look, there just aren't enough data points to collect for me to make a process," that to me doesn't even really speak negatively or positively. It's just a matter of fact, I didn't get to see enough, so I can't vouch for the guy if we can use like mob language. Do you vouch for the guy? Yeah, I vouch for the guy. Well, if you vouch for the guy and he doesn't come through, that's all on you now. And there just right. wasn't enough to vouch for the guy. And I, I think that that's pretty interesting. Uh, the one guy that I don't understand, by the way, speaking of vouching for a guy, I'm always going to vouch for our Trent Balky, who's dropping a super chat. You know, Damon, um, I thought I was listening to your show with Larry, and I thought to myself, there's a guy that needs $19.99 in U.S. dollars. And I said to myself, you know what, Damon? Let's get let's get you nineteen ninety nine. Put it in an envelope. <laughs> I put it in an envelope. His name's AJ Jenkins, and I wrote it down and I said, you know what, I'm a jackass. And I don't really know football. So look, <laughs> thank you very much, Trent. I appreciate it. Someone's like, there it is, Damon Bruce, real chalk, hard truth. Even though it's cold and harsh to some, it's to it yeah, it is, it's real. Like I don't care about what professional athletes feelings are hurt you know i want everyone treated decently i want everyone treated fairly but the whole aw shucks coach doesn't like me act like i dropped that off in high school and college you know i mean like come on and college let's face it is professional football without the paycheck that's all that is now so really outside of high school i'm not here to hear about who didn't get the amount of orange slices at halftime they thought they deserved. Well, you know, Kevin got a banana and an orange slice. I only got a half of an apple over here. Uh, okay, well, we're in high school, so let's get that right. But after that, I, I don't give a shit anymore. And the Niners need as much talent as they can possibly get in that quarterback room, whether it be developed, raw, masked, unmasked, unrealized, I don't care, for them to want to stockpile talent and I think it's another good point that you make. You don't keep stockpiling a position that you think you have too much of. So th there is maybe something going on, and you're right to trust the actions. I'm not sure, Larry, why anyone would still go about wanting to be on the, you know, team Kyle doesn't know what he's doing. And there's still a lot of people who, you know, are planting their flag on that hill. Kyle doesn't know what he's doing. Well, here's the overall record of Kyle Shanahan. 
He is 52-46-0, which is good enough to have won 53% of his games. So by mathematical fact, the man has won. Now, if you are going to be such a critic of Kyle Shanahan and what he has or has not done as a coach, you at least must be prepared to acknowledge, since you know so much about the 49ers and what they are and what they need, anyone would have to agree that Kyle walked into a roster with a serious talent deficit on it in his first two years to give him mulligan on a roster which he turned over like by 40 to 50 players within those first two years. Um, if you're willing to give Kyle a record mulligan in his first two years, since that, subtract the first two seasons, Kyle is 42 and 24. If you're winning 64% of your games as a coach in the regular season, you know what you're doing. That is loud and that is clear. This guy's been to a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. He's been to an NFC title game with Brock Purdy. This team sure is in the NFC title game a lot. You know, They're favored to go back to the Super Bowl this year out yeah, of the NFC. And, and some people like view that as a negative. Like the coach who can't get past the NFC title game is by definition a bad coach. Well, then what are all the other coaches who haven't even seen the NFC title game? haven't even been in it to win it or lose it. And we all know that football truly more than any other sport you're watching with your own two eyes is in any given Sunday league. That means anyone could beat anybody at any time. The worst team in football is this close to beating the best team in football just about any time you watch. That's why the league is so popular. And then the other thing, and this is, I think, what really drives me crazy, Larry, the other thing that drives me nuts is Kyle Shanahan is only evaluated through the prism of offensive inadequacies, according to his harshest critics. This man has built one of the single most year-in, year-out, week-in, week-out, consistent defensive football teams in the last half decade. But Kyle doesn't get any credit for that. And the guy's the GM. I mean... Kyle well, I mean, Shanahan okay, look at it this knows way. what he's doing. I mean, look at it this way. Let's 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 name the quarterbacks who have been in the Super Bowl recently. Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Matthew Stafford, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay. In the last four years, Jimmy Garoppolo is easily the worst quarterback who's been to the Super Bowl in that span. Go another year back. Tom Brady and who was the Rams quarterback uh, when they lost? It was Goff. So maybe Goff. McVay got there with Goff. Uh, Philly got there with Foles. But for the most part, I mean, New England, Brady, um, Matt Ryan, you know, Shanahan got there with the Falcons and Matt Ryan. So, I mean, you could say that, that probably, you know, in the last, what, eight or nine years, the worst quarterbacks to get to the Super Bowl are guys probably like Garoppolo and Matt Ryan and Foles, I mean, uh, and Goff, and Shanahan's connected to most of them. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, the, uh, the, the bottom line is, look, they went to their third-string quarterback, and they averaged 33 points a game. 
and they made it to the NFC Championship game. And and I'll I'll and whatever barometer you want to use, whatever measuring stick you feel most comfortable with. Let's be honest about this. If every NFL coach tomorrow became a free agent, Kyle Shanahan would probably get the biggest contract. Yeah. He's going to get more money than Andy Reid cuz he's younger. He's going to get more money than Bill Belichick cuz he's younger. What's Belichick done post Brady? I mean, you know, Kyle Shanahan is widely respected as one. And believe me, as somebody who spent all of last season in the Niner locker room talking face-to-face on camera and off camera, on mic and off mic with the players, I've never, I've never had a better sense of the players. I did the Niner pregame show on KMBR for 12 years. I didn't have nearly the sense of how the players felt like you have now. Right. I have way better access this last year than I've ever had before. And I've talked to guys on the record and off the record. And I've seen them whispering in the corners of the room when nobody else was around. I've never heard word one from anybody in that room that didn't have total respect and admiration for Kyle Shanahan. So the old Kyle, su- Kyle sucks is just I can't go there. And I, I and I, you know I'm not saying Grant saying that Grant's you know and Grant's treated me really really well. Um, I get nothing but positive things to say about Grant Cohn. Look, um, this isn't a takedown. This of Grant. and this isn't it's about not. Grant. But I know he's been critical of Kyle. But I would beyond that, beyond that, I mean, it's not about Grant. And I love Grant and I think the world of him. Um, but the players, if there were if there were a discontent in the corners of the room, you'd feel it. Not only would you feel it, you'd hear it. And if you didn't hear it directly, you'd hear it indirectly. And there's there's nothing like that. There's huge amounts of respect from Brock Purdy, from offensive linemen, from defensive players, from and I've never heard anybody voice anything about, you know, there's people that have questioned their practice habits and how hard they hit on Thursdays, blah, 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 blah. All these different things. I've never heard one player ever, ever. Now, say anything negative about Kyle Shanahan. Now, I've never they w- even heard a player that was traded in the 49ers because things didn't work out well turn around and say something negative about their time with the Niners. You know, there's no after the fact bean spilling about Shanahan or a player's negative Niners experience that has come back to embarrass the Niners after a player has has moved on he's and, real i mean he you know maybe he's had some hard conversations with some players jimmy ward kind of shared one last year but that's just hard conversations sometimes have to be spoken let's go you know it's, it's and it's just it's life in the nfl man it's it's and but it but i get I, you know to me it's all about are you honest with your players and i believe he is by the way then the other question is do your players back. An, another five dollars. He put an extra fin in there. You know, Damon, I saw the nineteen ninety nine and I thought, I gotta give that cat another four ninety nine, baby. Uh, I'm I'm here in Jacksonville, so I'm not paying the rent I was paying in NorCal. I got a few extra ducats, you know what I'm saying, Damon? So there you go. Have a little four ninety nine coming coming your way from from old Trent. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so that's But I've the- never heard Kyle Shanahan is respected by the players and he's respected by other coaches and he's resp- I mean come on he's he's respected. Now, do I think that Kyle Shanahan with the Trey Lance pick in a way called his own bluff? 
Yeah, because I think Kyle Shanahan is an awesome play caller, play sequencer. Uh, he's a phenomenal offensive coordinator. I don't know that he can take a quarterback from super raw, crude Brett Favre like a Mike Holmgren did, smooth out all the edges, and then have Brett Favre Hall of Famer emerge on the other side. But that is a tall task. And if we're at, you know, just because Holmgren could do it doesn't mean that Shanahan's a failure if he's not Holmgren. Holmgren's a Hall of Fame coach. Well, and and and, and, and we'll see. You know, he had and the assumption talent. is that Trey Lance is going to become Favre. There is Let's wait until he becomes something great before we sit there and tell everybody that Kyle can't develop. It's like, hey, Trey Lance. Look, Trey Lance hasn't even become Jordan Love yet. I mean, everyone needs to calm down. That's how far away from Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers or anyone. And you know, Rod Father here brings up Trey is not Mahomes. That's the national narrative, and it's out of touch. No one is Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is a standard that if that's what you're chasing, you'll probably never catch it. We're watching at a multiple generational level of a talent in Patrick Mahomes. There isn't anyone quite like him. Not even Josh Allen, as good as he is, is on that Patrick Mahomes level yet. And it's like Patrick Mahomes has so scrambled the thinking of every football fan because now that is the, you know, that's the standard you got to show up and you got to basically, as soon as you're handed the football at the end of year one, going into year two, you're instantly the best quarterback you've ever seen in my life. You know, <laughs> that's the standard. It's kind of like how the Golden State Warriors broke the standard of NBA fans. Well, as soon as you, you know, pretty much put the right collection of guys together, you should instantly go to the NBA finals. You should instantly be a dynasty. You should win you know, multiple championships at the very least. We can't even regard you as a good team unless there are multiple championships. This is not how sports work. This is it's not how re- sports You know work. what? Guys, let's just say it. Let's say it. There's a reason that they have multi-million dollar parades. In the middle of trying economic times, cities often pay for multi-million dollar parades. Why? Because that's how hard it is to win. That's how rare it is to have a championship parade. It ain't your birthright. It's not, there's nothing that's, you know, it's not like, hey, you know what? Uh, You should. No, not you should. You're always incredibly fortunate to climb to the top of the mountain. I mean, there's just the, the level of the amount of effort for the people striving for the Super Bowl trophy or the Larry O'Brien trophy in the NBA is, you know, it's filled with talented, uh, skilled people. You know, and, you know, you're just it's not you're just not going to be a dynasty. It's just not easy. So instead of instead of like, you know, were the Warriors flawed? Yeah, but a lot of people wanted to take Steve Kerr out back and and beat him up. And it's like, hey, you know, did Steve have his best year? Probably not. But you know what? I think I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, let's not lose sight of the fact that Steve Kerr is a damn good coach. And, you know, you can complain about Kyle Shanahan, but, man, how quickly we forget Jim Tom Sula, how quickly we forget that that Chip Kelly's defenses gave up like seven or 800-yard rushers consecutively. I don't know that the 49ers have given up seven or 800-yard rushers in the entire Shanahan era. And, and that happened in seven consecutive weeks under Chip Kelly. So let's just... 
I, I get it. There's a lot of frustration over Trey because they invested a lot and now they've got Purdy and they seem more committed to Purdy and the fans are wanting to see the Trey experiment, it's, you know, to come to fruition the and they, the they want to see it happen. Theory. And I do too, but, but they're not going to risk winning to, you know, make sure that this is a, you know, a very, you know, even summertime battle and right. i'll on. say it, this it, it i don't know that it, it I drives me nuts that fans would rather the can't get it back value of draft picks invested in trey lance payoff than having brock purdy win football games and that is a level of sports fan fuckery that like i can't even deal with like who it's a sunk cost they traded up and probably traded too much for a guy that'll never play significant snaps for them. But the guy that they got at the end of the seventh round seems to be a really good football player. So, you know, if they pissed away value up here, look at the value that they got down here. Like, it doesn't matter. Once the draft is over, no one's career is guaranteed to work out one way or another based on where they were slotted in the draft. People got to get over it. I mean, yeah. what, what has happened is every dickhead with an Athlons magazine thinks they're Mel Kuyper now and can evaluate college players coming out of Conference USA in a, you know, they didn't, they didn't see an awful lot of Cincinnati Bearcat football, but they liked the way this one guy looked in the quarter that they watched. So that's got to be the next Yeah, play. I mean, that's another one too. Like, I, I, I have NFL Plus. So as soon as the game. NFL Plus? Yes. Yeah, so as soon as the game's over. I can watch what I used to watch when I was scouting in the Canadian League. I can watch sideline wide, end zone wide, back to back the entire game as soon as the game's over. And and other people have that same same advantage if they pay for it. And so there's a belief that hey, I saw all the plays, and because I saw all 22 guys, and I, you know, the old saying, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. And there's a lot of people out there that have a little bit of knowledge. And um, and they and they're watching the all 22. And so they just feel like, you know what? My opinions as valid as any opinion. Right. Here's the thing. Just because you're watching all 22 doesn't mean you have the eye to even know what you're looking at. And there right. are some people in the media who do. There are some people who do have a more trained eye than other media members for sure. Uh, you know, uh, what's it? Ted? Ted Gwynn? Win? Is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That guy. He's good. a media member breaks down film like he's been in the NFL. I mean, he's very, very good at it. So, um, Brian Baldinger, who was on 95.7 The Game, Greg Cosell, obviously on KMBR. Right. I mean, there are people that, you know, if I wanted to sit there and devote my entire day to it, I could sit there and, and talk about every route combination and sound real super smart and, and you know, try to you know convince people that, man, man Krug really knows his film. But I mean, he sure once again, that coaching room jingo. Yeah. But I mean, you know, when you've actually Lingo. done the job, okay, I used to be the quality control guy. So I have spent 100 hour weeks and I've rolled that tape back and forth and I wear contact lenses. And the year that I worked in the Canadian League, um, I, I, I probably upped my, my prescription five times over the course of the year, you know, making myself blind, rolling that film back and forth. And so when you roll that film back and forth and you know when you've invested the time that it takes to actually know, you know the difference between knowing and suspecting 
and knowing and just being an enthusiast. I watch the entire I watch the game. I'll watch it three times during the week and I'll watch the all twenty two. But I'm I don't know as much as as the Niner coaches. I don't know what the coaching points are. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I talked to Greg Cosell and I and I asked him a direct question, one that I would think would have answer A or B, and he would say, you know, Larry, and I know you know this, I don't know the coaching point on that. I don't know what their emphasis was. I don't know what they were trying to accomplish there. And that's Greg being totally forthright in his presentation of the answer. It's not like, hey, I saw the film. I know football. I watched the All-22. I know all. He's saying, I know what it looks like around the league, and I can make some assumptions based on that, but I'm not at their meetings. I'm not at their installations. I don't know what the, what they, what the old linemen were being coached to do here. I don't know what they were trying to accomplish here. Every team's a little bit different. So, I mean, it's just there's a lot that goes into it. It's funny, too, because baseball's the sport where you really could question Kapler. You know, here comes a left-handed pinch hitter. You got a right-handed reliever. You got a lefty in the bullpen. There's only so many factors. What is he hitting against lefties? What is he hitting against righties? What's he hitting against this pitcher? What's he hitting against that pitcher? What's he doing over the last 10 days? You got a very finite amount of stats, and you can quickly discern what your options are. Do you want a 240 hitter against a lefty? Do you want a 310 hitter against a righty? But he only has certain. I mean, that, and yet people will be like, I don't know. I can't question Kapler. I don't know. That's actually a sport where the options are pretty finite, and you actually can uh, question the manager and be on solid ground in doing so. But nobody does. But football, because they watch all 18 games, and many times they're watching it on the All 22, it's like, hey, man. I watch all the games. I watch the All-22. I can question that. No, you can't. There's any number of factors. And, and that we're, we're a month away from, from lots and lots and lots of people throwing camp stats in our face. And you're talking to a guy who used to sit in the meetings, and I've seen coaches say to other coaches, hey, Make sure you call four plays against this corner because he won't even buckle his chin strap until we get to the team session, and and I just want him to you know be out there and ready to roll. We go at him a lot early in this practice so I can you know you know teach him a lesson. I mean there are any or hey you know what let's do it this way because you know uh, you know at the end of the game people are analyzing these plays. Well in the fourth quarter they did this. Yeah they they may have done the opposite of what they normally do. Because at that point, it was a 17-point game, and they're trying to put on film that out of this formation, they're going to run to the right, when in reality, because they know the stats say they're going to run to the right, so they go run, they get in that exact formation, and then run to the left. Why? Because they're self-scouting. They want to know, they know what they their tendencies. You know, I mean, you have to know your opponent's tendencies, but a good football team knows their own tendencies. Right. And you start to m make it murky and make somebody else invest thousands of hours of man time preparation in preparing to beat you by putting some wrinkles out there that are the opposite, that fly right in the face of your tendencies to distort the picture that your opponent is seeing midweek when they're prepping to beat you. Look, and these I, things happen every week in the NFL, and never any nobody ever mentions that. Right, like, so, like that's a non-factor. Like it's not even possible. It's like not only is it possible, it happens every week. I was talking in what was not a great interview with Debo Samuel this past season, but in one moment of the interview, basically I asked him about a big play that he made, 
and he said it, he straight up admitted he's like yeah um i lined up on the wrong side of the field and ran the wrong route but they just found me you know, right. really, there's human error that actually happens to everything that you see is not the most coordinated. And this is, you know, as detailed an NFL offense as you'll see anywhere. Uh, and oh, by the way, Larry, I don't know how it's happened, but if you could please confirm that once again, Trent Balky has come back with another $5 super chat saying, you know, Greg Cassell works on Christmas grinding tape. You know, you know, it's funny, Damon. Uh, I never liked working on the holidays. I love, yeah, I've told you many times, Damon, I like a good glass of eggnog. But, you know, Greg is one of those guys, he's anti-eggnog. I've talked to him about it. He doesn't like the eggnog. So he's working on Christmas, and he'll grind that tape, and he's watching that old 22. And the guy's a hustler, but I'll tell you, Damon, he doesn't like eggnog. I like eggnog. Greg, not so much. I'll even throw a couple shots of booze in my eggnog, Damon, because that's how I like my eggnog. Now, when I'm in Jacksonville, it's warmer down here. I get a little sweaty if I take too many shots, so I keep the alcohol content kind of on the lower side of my eggnog. You know what I'm saying, Damon? That's fantastic. (laughs) Dude, I might have to. I think I still got you in the Ralph department, but you have maybe (laughs) lapped me in the Trent Baalke impression and to that, I can you know, Creed, only say... You're so cute. You get so angry at the Giants. Well, Why do you get so angry at the Giants, Krug? I mean, come on. They're trying their hardest. I mean, come on. Talk. I, I, you know, I always talk to Dusty, and I have my garlic fries, and I'll tell Tom, you know, Tom, I like garlic fries. And he says, Ralph, why do you got to put them in a, in a paper bag and bring them into the studio? And I'm like, Tommy, come on. Okay, let's take a call. Go ahead. Pick one, Tom. Pick one. Pick one. It's good. It's, again... Do you remember I when he used to say that? Remember bit, when he used to go, pick one, Tom, pick yeah. one. I need a little bit more lisp in my Ralph, but you got the raspiness that I usually leave out of my bulky. So well done. And, <laughs> and let me just wrap up what I think has been a pretty damn good football conversation over about the last hour here with this. Here it is on June 5th, and we have already reached maximum football. Uh, we have a comment from uh, P. Rosenby saying, Damon, it's June 5th. Please, what about the San Francisco Giants, and when will they fire Gabe Kapler? Well, here's the deal. They're not about to fire Gabe Kapler because he and Farhan clearly walk hand-in-hand hand together, and I think there is no animosity beyond the fan base and the clubhouse thinking the guy's a little weird, and everyone who gets in contact radius of him thinking, that guy's a little weird. But Kapler's not going anywhere anytime soon. I don't think he's going anywhere as long as Farhan's not going anywhere, and I don't think Farhan's going anywhere anytime soon. I don't even want to talk about that, Larry. What I want to ask you is, you know, we're, we're approaching time to start thinking about a trade deadline. So... Let's run through a little exercise. First of all, what is the more likely fork in the road? That the Giants are buyers or sellers at the upcoming trade deadline? And as of tonight, they're one game below 500. So without L.A. or San Diego running away and hiding, with Arizona being really the only team in the division that can even lay claim to the label of overachievement 
What do you think the 49ers are going to do when they get to this decision point? Are Giants. Giants, you mean, yeah. Um, you said Niners. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 yeah, you know, I, I think it's going to be the combo platter. I, I think they're going to do a little buying and a little selling. And I think it's probably the right route to go. Like, um, like Jock Peterson, for example. Jock Peterson, because of the contract they gave him this year and they, they, uh, you know, they used that option. They can't bring him back next year as far as, I mean, they don't get draft pick compensation if he walks no matter what. So if they want to get anything for Jock Peterson, they would have to move him. And look what he's done in the playoffs with Atlanta. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of a proven postseason commodity. So he's I think he's a huge hot and cold player. I mean, he, he's and he's also they got Luis Matos coming up. So their outfield starting to get kind of packed. I could see them moving a guy like Jock Peterson. I could see them moving a guy like Alex Cobb. I mean, Alex Cobb is is a tremendous um, arm right now. He'd be a terrific hired gun. So I think on one hand, there's a lot of desperation because the attendance, it's not just about where the Giants are in the standings. The Giants are a nightmare right now but as far as their attendance. I mean, you you got a TV. You tune into those games only on, like, the most perfect Saturday afternoon against a great uh, opponent do you typically see – you know, 30,000. The rest of the time, I don't care what they're announcing. It looks like 12-5 or 15. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't look like they have a lot of people in the house, and I think that's a major problem. So on one hand, um, I think that Farhan and Gabe are really hell-bent on making a postseason appearance to excite the fan base and kind of re, re uh, you know, energize the entire thing. Um, and so I think, you know, they're really, if they're within arm's distance of a wild-card race, a wild card spot, man, they are going to make an addition. But I think they also have seen that they're, they've really taken off since promoting the young players, and I think they're going to be committed to that. So I think it's a combo. I think I, think I could see them. You know, Farhan loves his, his moves, right? He loves making moves. Look at the move that he made for J.D. Davis on the Darren Ruff trade. He traded Darren Ruff. He got J.D. Davis. He got three arms, and those three arms are in the minors doing well. So um, – I think they're going to continue down this road. They're going to bring up, you know, they got a couple of really good lefties. Have you seen Carson Wisenhunt? Carson Wisenhunt is going to be a phenomenal Giants lefty. Kyle Harrison is going to be a phenomenal Giants lefty. I think they're going to promote a couple of these young arms, trade off a couple of the veteran guys like Cobb, DiScafani, um, guys who they might be able to move to other teams. I think I think Peterson probably moves. I think Matos gets recall gets called up. Um, I think they're going to go young. They're going to try to make a nice trade or two that brings in players that can help them this year. But I also think they're going to trade away a couple guys that that are helping them this year and replace them with guys like Wisenhunt and and Harrison. They're clearly rocketing. This has been a, this has been the best first half of the season the Giants farm system has had in years. I mean, we're talking about since you know the the mid 80s i mean it's been this is the best the giants farm system has done as far as graduating players through the system graduating players to the major league level casey schmidt looks terrific uh bailey looks like he's a keeper i think joey bart like for example i think is going to get traded uh right now they're getting him healthy but bailey's taken that job they have um the kid the rule five draft pick on the bench that they don't want to get rid of. And so I don't think there's any That's spot – Chris, uh, not Chris Sable, but uh, Blake Sable. Yeah, so I, don't, I, think, I think Joey Bart probably gets traded. Uh, 
my guess is that if you, I think they're going to be a buyer and a seller. I think they're going to, I think they're going to sell on Cobb, sell on DeScafani, sell on Joey Bart, um, and maybe, maybe sell on Jock Peterson. And I think they're going to wind up buying. Maybe they'll sell on Conforto, but I think they're going to wind up buying and promoting young guys at the same time. I would say it's, you know, buckle your buckle your chin strap if there was such a thing in baseball, and then. And just uh, get ready for a whole lot of action. I there's think there's going to be a me, bunch of moves. There's a part of me that agrees with you. But there's another part of me that I'm driving myself nuts by agreeing with you. And and you probably do have it right. I think they're going to take guys, like you said, Jock Peterson, they can't get anything more for him. A guy like Alex Cobb is pitching out of his mind right now, but he's 36 years old. And, you know, he's he's got an injury history. He's got $10 million on the books for next year. You get rid of that now, maybe get a little something back for him that then makes next year a little bit better. To me, the Giants and their biggest self-con, if you will, is that they never – they always try to create this illusion of, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're fancying ourselves as in this where they'd be better to not bottom out, like, you know, lose 110 games like the Houston Astros, but to sacrifice a little bit today to make a better tomorrow. Like, to me, if they envision themselves sellers in any real way, like, that, that I, I agree with you. Jock Peterson is absolutely on the list and could possibly go. Alex Cobb is the other name that I had on the list and could possibly go. Now, I think he's maybe the best at-bat that they have in their lineup right now, but if you wanted to maybe fetch a team's, you know, a top-five prospect from somebody's organization, you put a guy like J.D. Davis on the trading block, you could get something for J.D. Davis right now. And but, I mean, he's a great story, and they also yeah. have an emphasis on wanting to bring in local guys, and he's an Elk Grove guy. I did an interview with him in spring training in the clubhouse in Scottsdale, and I love J.D. Davis, man. He's a cool guy. He's a really cool guy. I hope they keep him. Uh, he's raking. He's playing the hell out of third base. I mean, he's the reason VR's in the minors. But, like, I could see them moving a guy like VR in a trade um, who's a young player. But then I could see them moving some older players. But I'll tell you, man, the, and I love Kyle Harrison. I think Kyle Harrison's really special. But, man, this Carson Wisenhunt is 6'3", 210-pound lefty. He's 22. He's got a 2.08 ERA this year in 10 starts. 39 innings pitch, 56 strikeouts. 56 strikeouts. That's that great. was a really – played at East Carolina for the East Carolina Pirates, and um, Giants took him, I guess, in the second round. Um, he looks good. And, I mean, his – somebody in your chat said uh, – right at the top there, where is that? Somebody said something about Wisenhunt and his changeup. His arm action on that change, Damon, is ridiculous. Like, this guy looks like he could be a 20-game winner. I mean, his stuff he, – his fastball's fast – and then that the, the 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 change out of the hand, I mean, you can tell it's a it's a very difficult read for any hitter. So, Wisenhunt well, and with this too, because I just want to talk about selling here for a minute. Yeah, if you fancy yourself a seller, to me, there is no logical reason to have a great closer. Like if you're a seller, you don't need to close. You don't need a closer on a team that's selling. Well, when you look at Camilo Duvall, 
and this is someone who's got a ton of club control still on their contract. He ain't going he, anywhere. No, no. They I mean, love I would, him. It would be an extreme message of it's a rebuild. If well, and also when like you get that. the lead He's in the ninth, you know, if you get the and the Giants, I don't think have lost a game all season that they've led after six. Think about that for a second. I, I you know, maybe I'm maybe that stat's that wrong, one, but but I think they haven't lost a game. Maybe it's seven. But the, the the Giants have shut the door uh, in the late innings, and Doval's been a huge part of that. He's got a two ten ERA. He's got fourteen saves. I mean, he has been He's really really stud. good. No, but I'm just saying, thirty nine Ks in twenty five innings. So if you believe in him and you believe that you can turn around, then maybe you shouldn't, you know, try to halfway through yourself a, a, a trade deadline and you keep a guy like Jock Peterson who is perfect for all the platooning. Um, I, I wish they had listened to me in the offseason, Damon, because I'd said, go get Aroldis Chapman. If you had added Aroldis Chapman, that fireball and lefty, to Doval, I think you're not, you're, you'd be better at the end of games. Now, you know, Kansas City's going to wind up moving Chapman probably for a bounty of, of good players. I mean, I mean, you know, he's, he's another guy that's going to move at the deadline. Um, and, you know, he might be one of the – I could see them buying on Chapman – just because they want to win games that they've got to lead late. Look, as someone who's been through the Aroldis Chapman ringer with the Chicago Cubs and then listening to all, you know, reports about a lack of professionalism or detail or attentiveness, like I he just doesn't seem like a giant to me. Like Aroldis Chapman was a great idea a couple of years ago. So I I'm not going to I'm not going to look at that as a decision that really they should have just hopped on, but I mean, but what could he sign for? He signed for peanuts compared to now Kansas City is going to get to turn around at the trade deadline. Guy's averaging 14 Ks per nine, and there's going to be about nine teams after him, and they're going to get a big-time player. The one thing I would love to see the Giants do is accelerate the rebuild by trading one or two painful trades. You know, maybe trading uh, you know, Cobb would be kind of painful because he's pitched so well. But, you know, make a couple trades where you really get something significant. J.D. Davis. You know, that, that's well, I, I don't know if JD Davis is going to. You want to talk fetch. about painful? That would suck. But yeah, but I mean, and, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know that JD Davis fetches, but like Cobb might. You know, and if Discafani, I'll say this: Discafani, if you look at his track record, has a lot of good first halves and then kind of tires late. But if they could surf that well and get him going on a two or three start run before the trade deadline, here's the one thing that I would say to Farhan. Don't fall in love with your players at the deadline. You know, you didn't move Bumgarner, you should have. You didn't move Rodon, you should have. Um, you know, if, if you get a great four-start run out of DiScofani and Cobb in, in mid-July, don't look at that as like, oh, these guys are going to be great for us the rest of the year. We can't move them. Move them. Move them. Stay focused on, you know, Giants fans are, Giant fan is a sophisticated fan. The Giant fans smart. The Giants fans been to the mountaintop. They've seen winning. They also understand, and it's a very sophisticated, smart baseball fan. And they see what's going on here. And what do they love? They love Casey Schmidt. What do they love? They love Patrick Bailey. The Giants don't. They don't need to win this year. They've won three titles, and most of their fans have been to a World Series game. What they what their fans want is for them to build a monster that can compete with the Dodgers and Padres in the division and win a World Series over the next five to seven years. Stick with that plan. Don't deviate. Focus. 
Don't fall in love with Cobb. Don't fall in love with DiScafani. I don't care if Jock Peterson gets hot in July. Get, let, you know, look at it as a way to get better players in return. Don't go, oh, hey, we got something here. Let's stay with it. Stop falling in love with your guys and and be more disciplined about your rebuild. All right, I mean, what if they traded Rodon for a big-time player? I'll tell you one thing that I love that the Cubs did or the Yankees did. The Yankees moved um, Roldis Chapman to the Cubbies, and they took the second baseman away from the Cubbies, right? Yeah. What was the kid's name? Uh, uh, give me a minute. I'll come up with it. Yeah, and then and then they basically signed Chapman back. And then they had the second baseman and they had the and they had Chapman. So, I, you know, I, I'm just saying um, I stay stay focused on what's real. What's real is Casey Schmidt, Patrick Bailey, Lu, uh, Luis Matos, um, the future, you know, Carson Wisenhunt, Kyle Harrison. That is your future. And the Giants fans would much rather not go to the playoffs this year. And I feel confident I could speak for Giants fans in saying this. We all want to go to the playoffs, right? If it's playoffs or no playoffs, we all want playoffs. But if it comes down to would you rather go to the playoffs and get bounced early this year or maybe get one real foundation piece hitter pitcher that can be like a star on your next World Series team, Giants fans prefer that. That's how I feel. Yeah. No, I, it's – Glaber it, Torres. Oh, that was it, Glaber Torres. They Glaber they Torres, traded exactly. Glaber Torres. They they traded a role to Chapman and 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 to the Cubbies. They got Glaber Torres and they re-signed Chapman. I mean, you know, I mean, if you if you love Jock Peterson that much and you want him back next year, trade him for a young outfielder. You know, and there's lots of good potential out there. I mean, there's lots of good young players who come of age, and um, heck, we've seen it, and we're seeing it around baseball. By the way, I didn't, I I couldn't come up with Glaber Torres because I couldn't get Alfonso Soriano out of my brain, <laughs> which is also a former young Cub second baseman traded to the New York Yankees. Anyway, I loved um, him too. He was fun. Let's, let's wrap up with this, Larry. Let's wrap up with this. Let's say, and a after just watching them, you know, have a, a, a two and four homestand against Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore, this is kind of hard to imagine, but let's say they go to Colorado, they sweep the Rockies, they come back, they take two out of three, against the uh, the Cubs, and then after that, you know, they, they really go on a run where they're, you know, they're winning 8-12 of here. So the deadline, now they're five games over 500 as that approaches, and they very much consider themselves buyers at that point. Well, the first thing I start doing is always go looking at teams that are going nowhere for what you could do looting the treasure chest. And, you know, I, I, I don't even want to get into Shohei Otani. Like, they, they don't have enough to go out and get a guy like that. So that's not going that to happen. Actually, trading for Shohei would hurt their chances of signing Shohei because I think Shohei's going to want to go somewhere where he can win. And if you trade four or five of your cachet top prospects, he's going to look at you and go, do I want to be there? Right. So I, don't, I, I think, you know, maybe the smarter move is to let somebody else trade for Shohei. What and then throw him $75 million a year and bring him here as the, the you know, the, the, the main cog of your free agent offseason, surrounded by all this great young talent on the verge. I had Ned Kledi on the other day, and I asked him what would he would do, and he said, I would not trade young players for rentals. Guys, I'm not doing that anymore. They're not in position to do that. So that was Ned. And by the way, on my channel Wednesday night, the great Marty Lurie will be stopping by for a live stream, confirmed it. So after Giants-Rockies go Wednesday night, 
Marty's coming on, and I'm going to throw a lot of these these same questions you're throwing towards me. I'm going to throw them towards uh, Martin Lurie. It's a tapestry, Larry. It's, it's a, a mosaic. Tapestry. It's a mosaic. Uh, I, <laughs> dude, I might, I might have to crash that party. Yeah, you're. Hey, you you want to come? You're invited. I might have to crash that party on Wednesday night. I love Marty dearly. Um, to look at a team that is going nowhere fast, all you need to do is drive over Treasure Island, and you'll find one quickly. Um, is there any Oakland A that I think could maybe help the San Francisco Giants? I Look, Carlos Perez, if you take Carlos Perez, because, you know, what, did, what do the A's need with a 32-year-old catcher? Get a guy like Carlos Perez. He and Bailey are now your catching platoon, and you can get Sable out from behind the plate where he isn't very good in the first place. They put a lot on his plate by trying to make him a catcher. Get him in the outfield. Get him starting to take ground balls over at first base. I think adding another catcher, because obviously Joey Bart has lost favor in this organization, that to me wouldn't be a bad idea. I'm looking at Carlos Perez, Seth Brown. Again, what what do the A's need a 31-year-old Seth Brown for who is an okay player, could be a platoon player for the Giants? A, a, you know, Brett Rooker is, you know, basically He rakes. I love that pick when they made it. Well, when they well, I love that trade when they acquired him. He's Joey Gallo. And nine of his 11 home runs came Well, he's hit 263 though. Joey Gallo hit 203. Right. But nine of his 11 home runs came in a month. But he's a guy who totally heats it up and then goes away from a power stroke standpoint. And to me, the Giants' run differential is, you know, what I really look at and am concerned about. Do they need more pitching? I don't know. But, you know, obviously, Lucas Giolito is going to be one of the prize names on the pitching market from the White Sox. You get a guy like Eduardo Perez from the Tigers, a lefty who is going to be coveted if he decides he's done in Detroit at the end of the year, which he probably will because he's got one of those three years left on his deal, two years left on his deal, or he can opt out. He might opt out. The crazy thing is, is the Detroit Tigers are, you know, they're, they're a week and a half a good baseball away from being a first-place team in the Central. So they need to figure out who they are before you can start going after any Tigers. But to me, I mean, the Oakland A's are basically blowing one gigantic Ali Ali oxen free on anyone you might be maybe interested in. They're going nowhere fast. They're including to Las Vegas from recent reports out of Vegas as well. Don't even want to get into that tonight. Ramon Laureano. Ramon Laureano. You know, hasn't he's been a nice player since the PEDs, but, you know, sure. Is he an upgrade over Slater or Yastrzemski in center field? Probably. I'll give you one that I really like. The Nationals are, you know, way, way off the charts. I mean, they're they're ten back. They're last place. Go get Juan Soto. Oh no! Well, no, wait, I was going to say last year. Victor Robles. Victor, you know, Victor Robles, yeah. Robles was a is a was a you know once upon a time Victor Robles was higher rated than Juan Soto. Now it's taken Victor Robles a little while, but you're talking about a really athletic right-handed hitting uh, center fielder who's hitting 292. You know, I mean, I, I really like Victor Robles. I think he's hurt right now, but he's on the injured list right now. But uh, you're talking about a 26-year-old player. You know, I mean, it, I would just want – I agree with Ned uh, Coletti who said don't go get anybody who's a free agent or anybody whose contract's up. But if you can make a baseball trade and, you know, get a, get a young player with some upside, uh, like a Victor Robles on a, you know, from a second division type team like the Nats – 
Um, I would do it. I absolutely would do it. And I, I just have I haven't done a canvassing of every team in baseball, but I mean, Boston's in last place. Kansas City's in last place. The A's are obviously twelve and fifty. They haven't even won twenty percent of their games. They're the first team to fifty losses this fast since nineteen hundred. I mean, it's just unbelievable, really. I'll say this: I mean, this Colorado team. I would, I would definitely look at this Colorado team as you know in this uh, in this you know trip to Denver and take a good look and see you know who you like over there, who you think might be able to help your situation. Um, you know, if you can make a good deal with them, you know they've got some interesting players. They got Jerickson Profar, Randall Gritchick. You know, they've they've got some interesting players for sure. So I don't know. I mean, you, you know, the one thing I do think Farhan is you know he loves making trades he and it's he He's loves tinkering uh, someone's rockland uh, new era says giants can trade 20 fans for ramon loriano yeah I saw that we too. will have these 20 fans show up at your ballpark you know what's the saddest thing about the a's thing the a's still have their ushers clearing people out of of moving down. You're you've stuck it to your fans. Your owner is a billionaire. You flipped the bird to the entire Bay Area. You're lucky anybody wants to go to your games. You have people going to your games. I don't care if every guy in the upper deck moves to the first freaking row. I don't care. No. And it, it, to me to watch these these ushers chasing people out of seats. It's like Excuse me, you are the worst, absolutely the worst run organization in the history of baseball. Look, it, it, you know, you're lucky they're, they're there trying to do their job that they were paid to do that night. But at the same time, it's like there are 55,000 empty seats here tonight. Don't get finicky over this one or that one. You know, it, it really is nuts. I, by the way, am going to be participating, Larry, in the reverse boycott. I was talking to. Uh, Brian, who is uh, the person who runs the last dive bar, you know, that group over there. Okay. And I'm going to be going to that game, the reverse boycott game that they've got coming up where fans. I'll go. Put up like Tell me when. I, when. When is it? Uh, it I'll go. I'll bring my kid. My kid wants to go out to the A's game this year. The Might as well go now, game. right? The reverse boycott game is June 13th. June 13th. What day of the week is June that? June 13th. I think it's a Tuesday night against Tampa Bay. Perfect. Let's do it. I'm there. I'm going. I'm going. I'm in. So, um, you know, it is it is ridiculous that they have asked fans, asked fans to move when there are 55,000 available seats in that place. It's nuts. I mean, that's just what? I don't care if people want to lay horizontal across 10 seats. I don't care. I don't care if you want to bring your own tarp and tarp off your own section that says Damon Bruce's section. I don't care what you do. I'm just happy that anybody's here. And you're going to sit there and chase people back to those are your fans that you're flipping the bird to. You know, if they well, care enough the to be at your too. game at all like, when you're when you've lost, when you've won, your win percentage is 191. Let's say just for a moment that every single usher has been told we're going to be monitoring. It's not the ushers them. themselves. It's the organization. No, but let's just say even an usher has been told, we're going to be monitoring these fans and you checking tickets. So just go over 
and pretend that the fan has the ticket to that seat and just say, oh, enjoy the game and walk away. There's not a single person who is going to double check that. There is not. Look at it this way. If the owner just does not care, why should anybody? So it, it is nuts. Um, that's about it, baby. For a, for a show that got underway with audio issues about an hour late than we expected, I think this whole thing, when it's said and done, Larry, will be recorded as a smashing success. Uh, thank you so very much for stopping on by tonight. It's always a pleasure talking sports with you. It's always easy as pie. 90 minutes goes by uh, about as fast as humanly possible when it's the two of us just chopping it up. Yeah, seriously. Uh, you really love doing this stuff with you, man. Um, you know, for... And I haven't been able we you and I have not been able to broadcast nearly as much together as I thought that we would um, 20 years ago. I mean, if you had said to me 20 years ago, you and Damon are going to be in the same market, you're good friends um, and you're going to work together like nine times in the next 20 years. Uh, I would have said that's crazy. But now we have the ability to do that. And I hope the audience is enjoying it. Um, I, you know, you know, I think the world of your ability as, as a broadcaster, uh, you're a good person. Uh, and, and now you're, now you're a complete person, man. Seeing you and Jack, um, and you know, uh, you know, in the, in the seats at the game this weekend, uh, I'm really happy for you and for Jillian and you guys are getting to experience the best part of life. Let's be honest. That's the best great. part it of really life. Is. It really is. Parenthood is is more fun than I thought it would be. I like it more than I thought I would. And, and yeah, taking my son to a ball game, just me and him going, the youngest. Beautiful is too, pictures, too man. I mean, just, it was, yeah, it was awesome. wonderful. It really, really was. And you've already been down this road. So, you know. I, you know I what I did today? What did you you know what I did today for the very first time? I took my 13-year-old to the gym to lift weights. Ooh. He wanted to lift weights, so like we that. went to Fitness 19 in the creek, and you know we're sitting there lifting weights, and a guy comes over. He's like, Krug, love the show. And I'm like, radio, KMBR, 95.7? He's like, nah, man, YouTube. I'm watching all the time. This is my kid. He's the one who got me into you. And I entered, you know, I'm like, well, this is my kid. This is Chris. And they shook, we shook hands and the whole deal. So, you know, it's very gratifying. Um, so yeah, but no, it, they're the you know they're little benchmarks in life, right? And you went through one this weekend, and you're sitting there at a baseball game with Jack, and it's like you know what? The same way you had a bucket list to go see a great sporting event, man. I know you, that's on the bucket list as well. Take my little boy to his first baseball game and get him a pretzel, and man, he devoured that pretzel and he loved it. And for me, it was like you know what? My, my kid's playing baseball, and he wants to get stronger, and I've been lifting weights for years and years, but I always told him, I said, you know, you really shouldn't lift weights until you're about 12 or 13. Now he's 13, going on 14. He's like, Dad, it's summertime. Um, do, do you have time to take me to the weight room, show me how to lift, do it right? And we spent, you know, a couple hours in the gym today throwing around the weights, and it was just a great moment, even though, you know, it's just lifting weights, right? It's nothing big, but it, it, it was great. And I've done it with all three of my sons, and um, and you know these are great memories, man. These are this is what life's all about. I can't wait until I'm actually sitting in a game, and it's a little league game. Like that's the next step of the baseball oh, evolution for my you'll kids. That's going to be incredible when that happens. Um, as always, Larry, you know any of your 
your viewers at the Krug channel who came on over here to watch this tonight. Thank you so very much. Go ahead and subscribe. I can't imagine any of my viewers aren't already subscribing to the Krug show, but make sure you do subscribe to that channel. Larry, I'm going to put this entire show up as a podcast because I thought that our breakdown of OTAs, what mattered, what was breathless, useless evaluation was really good. Our conversation about what the Giants might do at the trade deadline probably is the first of that ilk of conversation to even happen in this market. And I was walking around with Jack and somebody was like, Damon, man, I listen to you each and every day. Thank you so much for being my guy on the ride home. And I'm, you know, this is where I always say, well, you know, thank you very much. And I understand that people white lie all the time. So if you listen each and every day, you would know that I haven't been on the air as you were expecting for the last three months, but thank you for the compliment. And he goes, Oh no, 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 dude. I'm a pluser. I'm in the plus. That's yeah. where I find you. So um, you can listen every day by subscribing to the Damon Bruce podcast. Uh, Larry, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was fantastic. I want to wrap up by thanking my sponsors. And let me tell you who they are real quick. And then I'd like to go through yours, Larry, because we're taking care of each other. Yeah. First of all, my man Ike is just fantastic. I'm going to be at his Brentwood opening on, I believe, June 15th. Don't nice. hold me to that, but I believe he's got a new store opening. We're going to go out there and have some fun. Good uh, deal. Each and every weekend, you can find me sipping a glass of blackened, usually neat on the rocks, depending if I'm going cast condition that night or not. But it is a delicious whiskey all day and night long. Pick a bottle up at BevMo or a lot of places you get your whiskey. And the newest addition to the Damon Bruce show is Uncle Boy's, a burger joint out on Balboa and fourth in the inner rich. Larry, I know you're puttering around the city often. Do me a favor. Stop at Uncle Boy's. Get yourself a cheeseburger to go. Grab the onion rings. You'll be happy that you did. They're a great locally owned story where, you know, a, a guy and his wife live above the burger stand that they own. They are wonderful native San Franciscans. They met at USF together. And when he was 21, he opened Uncle Boy's. And they survived COVID, which was really difficult to get through. Uh, he opened up an East Bay location, which did not make it. He is back just concentrating on the San Francisco location and is a big, long listener of mine. He said, Damon, I would love to, A, support you and have your incredible audience that supports the products you endorse by going out, coming to sample what we've got. And we've got smashing reviews of Uncle Boys by some of uh, the fans who have already come on through and gone. So there you go. An official sandwich, an official cheeseburger, an official whiskey. I'm very, very proud of my sponsors, and and I know you are too. You you got deliciousness all over your sponsors. You you got sausage and barbecue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, by the way, um, I'll gladly go out there to Brentwood with you for Ike's grand opening. Let me know yes. when it is. I'd love to go out there. Yes, I'll let you know all about um, it. And then as far as the burger place, Trent Balky in the chat says, you know, Damon, is it safe to go into the city? I'm worried about feces and needles and London breed. I'm just, I, I still feel like she welcomes me. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I'll go check it out. No, but as far as my sponsors, brand new six-month uh, arrangement with New York-style Italian sausage. They just re-upped for six more months. Thank you to them. Uh, thanks to Telmetrics.co, which is a, a um a website that you can go for rehabilitation. So if you injure yourself, 
uh, playing sports or doing whatever, but you don't want to go to the ER, or the emergency room or anything like that. But man, you got an injury and you're just, you need help and figuring out how do you rehabilitate yourself? Telmetrics.co, T-E-L-M-E-T-R-I-X.co. And then of course the title sponsor of the Krug show, which is pig in a pickle. Uh, Damon Stainbrook, the owner of pig in a pickle locations in Emeryville, Corte Madera. They're open seven days a week in Marin. Uh, great barbecue, real barbecue spot, phenomenal food across the board. So thank you uh, for giving me a chance to shout out my sponsors on the show. And, and, um, and, and thanks to, you know, let me thank my sponsors and your sponsors, because let's be honest, we get paid through YouTube, but um, the sponsorship is, especially in the early days really does help. Um, it's helped me immeasurably. It's helped my family immeasurably. And I know your family's being helped out greatly by your sponsors as well. And all I would say to any, any, uh, anybody who's a, a follower of any, either of our shows, you know, if you really want to help the show, watch the show, tell people about the show, and, um, and support our sponsors. You know, right. Go get an Ike sandwich. Go get a pig and a pickle. Go get New York-style Italian sausage at the market. And you know the gratifying thing is I'll get, and I'm not talking once a day. I'm talking like five times a week, six, seven times a day, you know, a week. I mean, I'll get three in a day. People literally, I'm at Safeway, and here's my Italian sausage mild, and here it is going into my cart, Krug. Just wanted to let you know I'm a big supporter of the show. You know, stuff like that. It's so I cool. And then it. I always I, forward that to to the sponsors. And believe it or not, they love that organic, like, this is actually making an impact. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very cool. So they're helping us. We're helping them. Um, you know, we're growing our channels, but we're trying to help them grow their businesses. And so if you want to help us, help support us, you know, support our sponsors. That would really help. Well, and here's here's Trent one last time saying, great show, fellas. And we do appreciate it. Great show. Trent was incredibly generous. I think he dropped thirty dollars almost worth of super chats in the in the bucket tonight, and I <laughs> so appreciate that. I really do. But beyond super chats and and memberships and the little bit of sprinkling you can do on us, you go ahead and sprinkle that money with our sponsors as well. You really take care of us by taking care of our sponsors. That is means an awful lot to us. And thank you very very much for coming on by, hanging out with us. This was a tremendous broadcast. Oy, oy, oy! <laughs> Certainly earned one of those. Larry Kruger, you are the man. We'll do this again soon. Have fun at OTAs. I'm sorry I won't be down there to join you, but uh, we'll I'll get a sunburn. I'll get it. I'll get the sunburn for both of us. Get the sunburn for both of us. Lord knows I came home with my market share the last time I was down there. Uh, thank you very much to Larry Kruger for swinging on by tonight from the Krug Channel. That guy's one of the best in the world at what he does. I fancy myself competent. I'm competent at what I do. You put us together, and it really is. It's the best show that the Bay Area has always wanted but never consistently got. Well, you officially get it now. Thanks so much for getting with us tonight. Really appreciate it. Take one, didn't go so well. Take two, electric boogaloo. It was fantastic. Thanks for being a part of everything we're doing here. And uh, if you missed any of this, I'm going to go ahead and have it up on the podcast real, real soon so you can enjoy it tonight on your way to work tomorrow, wherever you get your podcast, The Damon Bruce Show is available. Best to you. Remember, sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, he's gone.